Girls in Work presents sexism in the city. Behind every statistic is a story, and we're sharing yours, the good, the bad, and the funny, to help drive change for women in the workplace. This is Girls in Work. Find us at girlsinwork.com. Hi everyone and welcome to episode two of our very special Girls in Work mini-series Sexism in the City. In this week's episode we're discussing how work environments are still in some ways unfit for women as well as discussing networking settings and also sexual harassment. Some of the topics discussed in this episode may be triggering to some listeners as we talk about real stories around sexual harassment in the workplace. If anybody is affected by this episode or needs any support the following resources are available. The Equality Advisory Support Service. The Equality and Human Rights Commission, Rights of Women Sexual Harassment at Work Helpline, Victim Support and Advice Line, and of course the Samaritans. Full details of each service will be available in the show notes of this episode. To briefly outline the legal position, discrimination on the basis of sex, pregnancy or maternity is unlawful under the Equality Act 2010. Harassment on the basis of sex and sexual harassment is also unlawful. Harassment is unwanted behaviour which is offensive or which makes a person feel intimidated or humiliated. If you believe you have been subject of discrimination or harassment, you should seek legal advice. If the action happened in the last three months, you may be able to pursue a claim at the Employment Tribunal. Please do get in touch with me at Thrive Law if you'd like any further assistance. It is also worth adding that any legal discussions in this podcast are for reference purpose only. It's only accurate at the date in which it's discussed. Anything said does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. Specific legal advice about your specific circumstances should always be sought separately before taking or deciding not to take any action. Please contact me at Thrive if you have any questions. What an episode, episode one was. I feel like we covered so much. So I'm so Em is here and we've got Alicia back with us as well, our resident solicitor. Hi. <laughs> Made it to episode two. Woo, woo. We've not scared her <laughs> off yet. So <laughs> she might disappear by the end of episode four. She's probably, she'll have had enough of us by then. I'm not planning on it, but we'll see. I'm not not making any promises. But yeah, so I'm really excited for episode two. I mean, I wish I could say it was going to be a little bit more, um, a little bit less intense maybe than episode one. But um, unfortunately, we are going to be talking about this idea that women are kind of naturally excluded from workplaces, not through kind of deliberate action, but because ultimately workplaces seem to be made for men. So we're going to talk about kind of uniform, things like office design, all the kind of little Mm. things that you are kind of subtle. But when you actually think about it, have a really huge impact on women's ability to be equal in the workplace and then we're going to talk about sexual harassment so as I say it's really not going to be a, a particularly obviously we're going to try and bring some kind of light-heartedness to it as much as we can and as much as appropriate but it's not going to be the most joyful of episodes especially the second half about sexual harassment and if you don't feel able to to listen to it we will warn you again before we get to that topic so that you can kind of duck out if you don't want to hear it but yes as last time we included this topic in the Instagram polls that we did and for this one we polled 200 women and out of those 40% had worked in a uniformed role or industry where the uniform is not made for women. I mean we're going to talk a little bit about why it matters but we've got so many submissions on this so first of all let's kind of roll through the different submissions we have. 
So the first submission we have, we've had quite a few from teachers who've had a really similar kind of experience, but one teacher in Solihull said, we got bought PE kits that were made for men, needless to say they didn't fit. Our school is looking at buying PE shirts from the company we buy our PE scheme from, but they don't only do men's sizes, so we've all got to buy larger sizes, as the men's have no hips, chests, and are very small. Even in a female-dominated profession, they're still only doing men's sizes. So we had another submission from somebody working as a physio in elite women's sports, and said that the uniform and kit for staff and players are all male sizes. Somebody else said that when they worked in a kitchen serving a very male industry, the uniform was see-through. Someone else talked about how they always were always given button shirts which gaped because they weren't made for anyone who wasn't flat-chested. Tessa from Instagram said that she worked in a spa as a teenager and that they only ever had men's sizes available. Somebody else said that the women's fleeces at work don't have pockets but men's do. That would annoy me so much. Yeah, we've actually got, there was a stat in here, apparently there's, there was a YouGov survey. 80% of women surveyed said they wanted pockets in trousers and 95% of women surveyed said they wanted pockets in jackets. And now if you think about how many of your trousers or jackets have pockets... <laughs> Gem on Instagram mentioned how men's sizes are always measured to fit, e.g. they always have legs and waist lengths, but then women's sizes tend to be boxed into 12, 14, 14, 16. Then it's obviously also like small, mm-hmm. medium, large. We had someone who works in construction who said that the PPE rarely fits properly. Another woman who works on a nuclear power plant. How cool. And the basics or the coveralls are men's sizes only. Um, And we've also had another one from someone who worked in one of the biggest fast food chains in a pub and said that they only had men's sizes, but also that they guessed your size based on how your figure looked rather than actually asking you. Oh my God. I feel like there's so much to unpack in these submissions of like... That's outrageous. I think aside from how you know how frustrating it is that women aren't being given access to the same uniform as men i I mean that's my real big takeaway and i think just shout out to gem on instagram because i obviously that whole thing about men's sizes are always measured to fit women's sizes are boxed into 12 to 14 small to medium large all that kind of stuff obviously that's been around for my whole life and i've only just realized how shit it is for want of a better word (laughs) and also obviously the fact that those sizes 12 to 14 14 16 small medium large as we've all probably experienced can vary by retailer and designer and part of me wants to think i mean with this inconsistent uniform part of me wants to think that it's just them not thinking it through you know or like cost cutting but then there's the people who've submitted talking about you know having see-through uniform or having like button shirts which gaped i mean i had i i had the same issue I used to be a waitress and I had the same issue where we used to have to wear vests under our shirts for that exact reason and I can't help but then start thinking like actually like what is the motivation for some of these uniforms not fitting properly I mean there are rules on on what uniform like the uniform Mm -hmm. rules and dress codes can or cannot be and they can't be fundamentally sexist is the easiest Mm -hmm. way to word it there was quite a few there was a case not so long ago actually about a requirement for women to wear heels at work they said that in order to be a temp at this particular place you had to wear heels and someone was turned away for not wearing heels and it's been pretty much accepted that that was that was sex discrimination it only affects women and since then we have seen quite a lot of movement in kind of dress code requirements I, I think it all comes down as well to it should be it should be the freedom of choice shouldn't it like some days i wake up and i'm like yeah i want to look fabulous and glamorous and put my red lipstick on and put my heels yeah. on because it makes me feel good but then there are other days when i'm like you know what i want to go to work in my joggers because <laughs> i really don't feel good today and actually that required that 
to be yeah. like, no, you have to wear heels. That feels like there's a very specific motivation behind them saying women have to wear heels. Yeah, exactly that. And I think designing a uniform that's fully inclusive takes time, whether that uniform is to align with the brand and business or health and safety. It has to involve employer consultation. As you said, Soph, it's that freedom of choice and employees need to be involved in that process just a personal experience from me and I don't know if this really fits into this but it it makes me laugh now when I think back to it and and it's not funny at all but you know I had a job and I had to do site visits at clients and some of the clients were manufacturers quite basically had to go to warehouses quite a lot of the time where obviously the, the the staff there were all men and this was quite a long time ago so I was quite young at the time and one of the site visits I ended up having to be lifted up in a cherry picker is that what they call it when they put you in the little cage thing and lift you up and down and I turned up in my work uniform which at the time was heels and a pencil skirt and I was the first woman to ever go on the site visit and so they basically failed to tell me that I would be in this cherry picker and I turned up and they basically wanted to take me up and down this cherry picker in a skirt and I was like (laughs) absolutely not and and they were just like yeah just go in love and I was like I I don't think so but it was just it not apart from that it was just the fact that nobody had thought to tell me wear trousers so that was an interesting day and also I mean it takes us quite nicely to the the next thing that we kind of wanted to touch on when we were talking about why uniform matters and it's yes there is this idea of sexualization and inclusivity which we've kind of covered but also safety yeah <laughs> like the, yeah. the idea of you kind of tottering around a site on in heels mm. is is really worrying and i mean there's there's a study that we found by the uh, the tuc that found that only 29 percent of women are provided with ppe for women so items such as fall arrest harnesses need to fit well but the difference in chest hips and thighs can affect the way that the straps fit and inappropriate ppe can impact on a person's safety so 57% of women stated that their PPE sometimes significantly hampered their work Mm -hmm. and it's worse in the emergency services where only 5% of women say that the PPE has never hampered their work and you just think it's so shocking isn't it because you think you know aside from how annoying it is to be an equal in a workplace when you actually start seeing that it actually impacts people's safety and their ability to do their job and their ability to be safe at work and the fact that there are still these reports being made and the TUC report is really interesting Mm -hmm. goes into quite a lot of detail about like kind of ideal best practice but the fact that you still even have to say this again in 2021 Um, like we said before like women have been in the workforce for a long time now it's not like women have all of a sudden started working and businesses are like oh like we need to adapt our uniform and our safety measures like no we've been doing this goodness knows how long (laughs) exactly and you hear kind of horror stories don't you about things like bulletproof vests not fitting properly it's literally a matter of life and death sometimes and i mean we've we've heard so much about ppe recently Mm. with the covid19 pandemic and you do kind of just think you know imagine not being protected from a virus because of your gender yeah and i think it goes back to a book actually inspired this section of the podcast and i'm guessing a lot of people listen to this might have read this already but it's called invisible women by caroline criado perez and she has a chapter there and there's chap- the title of the chapter is one size fits men which i think just kind of summarizes what we're trying to say here perfectly doesn't it and, and she goes into quite a lot of detail and actually a lot of the safety processes are like crash test dummies yeah. are male crash test dummies with uh, like a, a man's typical height and stature and it's like women aren't built like that so actually the forces a man can withstand are probably very different to the forces a woman can yeah. withstand and it's all of this kind of stuff that still isn't women still aren't used as a, a, a default we're not seen we're, we're almost seen as an other aren't we constantly it's like oh we're yeah. not men so we fit into this other category so we, we have to try and fit into this man's world and it's like no that absolutely should not be the way it is 
And I mean, uniform is a pretty fascinating kind of area of inequality, mm-hmm. but the other ones that came up were stuff to do with office design. So things about like how women are kind of naturally excluded from, from different areas. I mean, there was a thing all about temperature bias. Mm-hmm. So it's naturally led towards men who usually prefer environments to be warmer. So a New York Times study found that the thermostat settings and mm-hmm. the formula for them is naturally geared towards male metabolic rate and I just find that so interesting that it goes back to this thing doesn't it about how women are kind of the other and it's built for men in the first place Um, and also that study makes a really good example of actually don't have it that high because it's bad for the planet so basically the next time you have an aircon war in the office you can just blame the men and like you can scientifically (laughs) just blame the men (laughs) yeah and I mean then there's all this stuff about like men Mm. male-led technology like computers and iPhones and how big they are and how they're designed Mm -hmm. because men have bigger hands and I was thinking like that that annoys me but also it's true of kind of safety equipment I I got really into this when I was reading about it in terms of in terms of (laughs) things like things like levers (laughs) and things like that and like emergency stop Mm. buttons and stuff being at the height that is designed for men to press them easily but actually for women it can be a reach to hit that emergency stop button and that's like again it comes back to like it could be life or death Yeah, and I think there's also another consideration of health and well-being here. One in particular is menopause. And there are a lot of campaigns for menopause reflection in the workplace. And just to clarify here, menopause is a natural phase in every woman's life that needs to be normalised. And just to go over a few key bits of research. So according to the Office of National Statistics, menopausal women are the fastest growing workforce demographic. There are 3.5 million women over 50 in the workplace. In the UK, the average age for a woman to go through menopause is 51. Around one in 100 women experience menopause before the age of 40. Three out of four women experience symptoms and one in four could experience serious symptoms. And according to the Faculty of Occupational Medicine, nearly eight out of ten of menopausal women are in work. And then finally, what is, is pretty shocking is that in some cases, menopausal symptoms can lead to women leaving their jobs and one in four consider it. According to the Wellbeing of Women survey in 2016. So I think this just sort of highlights that menopause symptoms can have a significant impact on work and performance and attendance. And a lot of women still don't feel comfortable disclosing this to their managers because of that stigma attached to it. And I think it's worth remembering that menopause is, is not just a female issue, it's, it's a business issue. And all it really takes is a few simple and reasonable tweaks and adjustments to make women feel more comfortable. And obviously this is just covering one condition, but it just sort of highlights that there is a lot to be done still. Yeah, and I mean, we're working on We've created all kinds of policies and training for specifically for menopausal women in the workplace and, and how you make that more more inclusive. But yeah, as you say, Emma, it's just it does just having a warm workplace. You would mm-hmm. think it's just a temperature thing, but actually you do end up excluding and potentially making people unnecessarily ill because of something that's designed for men. I mean, it's worth saying that mm-hmm. menopause, endometriosis, yeah. loads of kind of conditions can ultimately be disabilities under mm-hmm. the Equality Act. And so then you would be, you yeah. know, subject to unfavourable treatment because of that disability. But as a general day-to-day rule, you're not going to have a woman, as you say, in the aircon war, mm-hmm. necessarily feeling comfortable stamping her feet and saying the reason she's having that debate is because she's menopausal yeah. or, or whatever it may be. And it's just even like day-to-day stuff, like if a woman takes a day off because she's on a period or something and she's really suffering with period cramps and all that kind of stuff, it's kind of seen as like oh, like, you're not really ill. It's almost like people think you're taking a fake day off or yeah. something, and it's like, no, mm-hmm. like, this is a serious condition that can be 
debilitating to yeah. women and I, I just don't think it's yeah. taken as seriously as as other things just going back to the whole idea of iPhones and stuff made for men's hands but then also linking that back to the whole pockets thing like the reason women have handbags is because we don't have pockets <laughs> Like, if we, had, if we had pockets on smaller phones, mm. we wouldn't need our Yeah, Sophie's so angry about the pocket situation. I am, because you know what? Because you know what? I, I hate carrying bag. Like, anybody who knows me will know, if I can go leave my house with just my keys and my phone, particularly now, obviously, with, like, Apple Pay, this is a whole different discussion, I know, but I'm just going to roll with it. I will literally... I hate carrying a bag with me, so it actually makes me really annoyed if I have... Like, I had a pair of trousers on today which didn't have pockets on, and it, I genuinely nearly ruined my day because I was like... <laughs> Now I'm going to have to carry a bag. Um, <laughs> anyway, there's my little rant. We, we can continue now. <laughs> no, it's, it's fascinating. I've never, I've literally never heard anyone be so passionate about pockets. But um. <laughs> so, I mean, the other thing that, the other thing that kind of came across when we were talking about inequality in the workplace and something that actually was the trigger for this whole podcast is, um, is networking. Yeah. And Steve and I were having this conversation about how, you know, when you go out networking, just little things like the fact that people tend to stand and women are going to naturally be shorter so you struggle to make eye contact Mm -hmm. Um, but also this idea that so much networking is kind of alcohol-led and that is naturally Mm -hmm. so much like excluding a huge population of of society who don't drink some of whom will be women because they may be pregnant or maybe they just don't want to drink or whatever it may be you can't see me but I've got my hand up right now (laughs) yeah because you don't drink do you yeah no only am I five foot nothing so I'm naturally shorter than everyone anyway but I also don't drink so I'm just like Double whammy, yeah. double whammy here. I've got no chance. Have I? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm four foot eleven, so oh, not wow. like oh, each other and just be like resident um, <laughs> resident titches in the corner. But yeah, and but the reason it frustrates me so much is that you think about kind of we spoke about it, didn't we? At the last in the last podcast about these opportunities that you miss because you don't go to the cricket game yeah. or because you you don't you don't get invited yeah. because they assume you don't want to be a part of that. And it's so frustrating when you think yeah. about think about kind of how difficult that can be. The whole like standing versus mm-hmm. sitting thing. And obviously not only are you, I feel like obviously you, you can't make eye contact, but I feel like it's that subconscious thing of like, okay, well, he's taller than me or I'm shorter than him. So there's like that naturally thing, okay, I'm already on a disadvantage to them almost because like, I'm already smaller. So like that physical implication of that. Yeah obviously if you're if you're sitting if everybody's sitting down then you're more at the same level but mm-hmm. like say like you mentioned Alicia about drinking like pregnant women won't drink but also pregnant women can't stand for a long time either and it's also about kind of the hours of networking it tends to be after work women with children mm-hmm. what are they meant to do and I know I know that there is increasing kind of accepted yeah. sharing of childcare, and I know we're going to talk about kind of maternity leave and shared parental leave in a, in a different podcast so we don't yeah. need to spend a long time about it but I do think yeah. that you know this idea that you can go to a networking event after work and some of the men yeah. do stay until ridiculous o'clock in the morning just chatting who are they more likely to remember the woman who had popped yeah. in for an hour at the beginning and then had to leave because she had to pick her children up or tom who sat and downed eight pints and drank out of a shoe or whatever it may be yeah exactly because we already know like 75 percent of the unpaid work is done by women like globally so it is more likely to be the women who have to go and pick up the kids so it is going to be the women who can't attend the networking event and also 42 percent of women compared to 11 percent of men work part-time so again mm-hmm. if you work part-time the chances are you're not going to be around at the end of the day to go to the pub if you've left the office at two or you're or you're only there three days a week i, I know somebody who works monday to wednesday so actually if work drinks are on friday they're never there for it 
I was I was just about to say that I've been at multiple and I'm going to put networking events in bunny quotes, but it was one, it's like those situations where, and I'm going to say the men because in the situation it was, they got so drunk that it did just make me feel uncomfortable. And I, I have left multiple times I've left early because I just thought I don't feel comfortable being in this situation and and I think another one that really sticks with me is um, (laughs) I'm just gonna laugh when I tell the story but I was once and this was years ago but I was once excluded from networking because it was a golf trip now unbeknownst to the client at the time I played golf when I was younger but I was never even asked and it's one of those things where obviously I was kind of like like now it doesn't bother me I'm like yeah whatever but you know like at the time you're just like out of they genuinely they didn't ask me because they presumed that I wouldn't know anything about golf because I'm a woman it's like bitch I can hold my own on a golf course and you know I'd have actually really loved to have like been there just to see what their reactions would have been when I like and you absolutely (laughs) smashed it whacked out my golf clubs yeah exactly (laughs) I think talking about networking sadly kind of really like leans itself to then the next part of what we were going to talk about today which is Mm -hmm. sexual harassment mainly for the reason you kind of just alluded to Sophie and that people do seem to kind of lose their inhibitions when they're at work drinks and then and then unfortunately things do happen to people that maybe they don't consent to or they or they are kind of put in that position where they do feel uncomfortable and so kind of really Mm -hmm. sadly we kind of the next thing to talk about is this issue of sexual harassment at work. Yeah, so as Alicia has just introduced and as she mentioned at the beginning of the podcast as well, this next segment of this episode, we will be talking about sexual harassment at work and there may be a couple of stories in here that may be difficult to hear. So if you do want to duck out at this point, if you feel like you're not entirely comfortable listening to this or you're not in the right space right now, please, please feel free to click off this episode, listen to one of our previous episodes, listen to the next episode if you're listening to this in a couple of weeks time. But yeah, so we include this topic in our Instagram polls as well and for this one have you ever been made to feel uncomfortable at work by a male colleague and 78% of women said yes staggeringly it didn't surprise me it's the same the same as the kind of where we were with the with the banter conversation and the you know that's 78% of women who because they are women have been made to feel uncomfortable by another by a colleague shall we just do a little bit of a whip around the three of us I know there's only three of us but I would I've definitely been made to feel uncomfortable at work by a man have you guys yeah. oh yeah definitely on numerous occasions yeah. okay yeah there we go it's, it's interesting because you asked that question and my immediate thoughts are like I'm questioning it I'm like did I have I ever been in that position and I think just from hearing some of the submissions that we had which we'll go into in a minute it really brought to light how you don't really realize it at the time um, and it's sometimes just the subtle things and you're like mm, that's actually inappropriate yeah and I think that's what really came across in in episode one so they kind of this idea of banter and inappropriate comments but I mean, as I said then, and I'll say it again now, that is ultimately sexual harassment. Um, So just to run through, to do my kind of legal bit, sexual harassment is unwanted behaviour of a sexual nature, which violates someone's dignity, whether it's intended or not. And it has the impact of creating a hostile Mm -hmm. environment for them, again, whether it was intended or not. So this idea of, you know, oh, I didn't mean it, or they took it wrongly, or whatever it may be, actually has no impact. Ultimately, if that person walks away feeling violated or feeling like they're they're not comfortable there, and the comment was of a sexual nature, sexual harassment. And I think that was really my big takeaway from episode one. People don't seem to realise that these comments and inappropriate comments being made are sexual harassment. And so if you actually circle back to Emma saying, oh, you know, has that happened to me? Has that, you know, actually, if you take it into context, it only takes one person to have made an inappropriate comment. And then yes, sadly 
you have been probably been a victim of sexual harassment. Yeah, and I think we'll go on to this, but I think about a number of instances come to mind of like the bigger instances, but actually the number of times a man said something that's made me feel really uncomfortable, that's so inappropriate and at the time always at the time my instant reaction is to just almost like have a bit of a smile and like shrug it off and just try and keep the conversation yeah. moving and change the subject and like, how many of those instances have we all yeah. had where it, it, it's just a comment or a question that's aimed at us that you're like oh and it just kind of makes you shiver a little bit and actually that reaction of just smiling and shrugging it off is it's very much a self-protection thing because actually if you call it out, you don't know what those repercussions are going to be because like you say, Alyssa, you think in the workplace you're safe, but you might not be. And I, we're going to get into submissions in a minute, but just as a personal example, when I was used to work at clients, I had one particular client who was horrendous mm. to be, to kind of work on and he'd go into his office to ask a question and he would lock mm-hmm. the door behind me every single time. Uh, oh yeah. And I've, like I said, never said anything at the time because if, if I was in a locked room, what would I go? I'm in a locked room with a man I don't really know, an older man I don't really know. Am I going to say, well, have you just locked the door? Yeah. Absolutely not. And it's just it's just stuff like that, isn't it? That like, and do you know what? Up until recently, I'd, I'd never really told anyone about that. And like mm. one of our contributors said in episode one, that sometimes you put these things away in a box because in the past you've been made to feel like, oh, like it, don't be silly kind of thing. And it's actually only when mm-hmm. you start talking about these and you have conversations with, with friends or with women, you're like... Oh, God. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had we had one submission. That, I mean, there are a few that came under the kind of banter submission, and we're not going to read all of them out again because they're, mm-hmm. they're all pretty horrendous. But there was one that, as I was reading it with mm-hmm. my lawyer brain on, I was literally just screaming in yeah. my head, this is sexual harassment, and this is not acceptable. So I just wanted to share that. So one time I was at the printer, and one of the other women in the office, one of the good ones, kind of shout whispered my name and then pointed to my blouse because two buttons had come undone on my blouse. So you could basically see my bra and my chest. And one of the men in the office shouted, why did you have to tell her we were getting an eyeful? And this submission was then gone on to say, I wanted to cry and I don't know how long they were looking at my chest and I didn't talk to anyone for the rest of the day. And for the rest of the week, it was all just passed off by the men in the office with statements like, oh, are you not talking to us because of that? It was just banter. And I just, my heart breaks <laughs> that this, is something that someone has to go through mm. you know it's nothing to do with her it's not her fault that the buttons had mm. come undone or whatever yeah. it may be but imagine being made to feel that way and it must just feel so violating so violating and I think sometimes when people think of the word violating you think of like you have to have been touched or something like physical but actually oh god this is probably one of the this was one that broke my heart mm. as well I mean yeah as we say it, it does not have to be any kind of physical behavior mm-hmm. at all it's any behavior it's called it's just unwanted behavior so that can be comments that can be text messages we have so many sadly around people asking for like or sending what's the best way to word it unsolicited messages of male genitalia but from colleagues and you just think okay well that's definitely sexual harassment and so you know any kind of unwanted behavior i think you're so right there in terms it doesn't have to be like you say it's any unwanted behavior and i think back to a different scenario because you know there are many where i was asked to go and speak to a guy in the business that i worked for again just to stress not my current employer and i would every time i went to see this guy he was he he wouldn't lock the door but he would constantly make me feel quite uncomfortable with the comments he was saying and he would always call me the girl with glasses like literally even to other people he would call me the girl with glasses and he would 
like I say, he just made me feel really uncomfortable. And I remember saying it to my boss at the time and saying, I really don't feel comfortable going to see him on my own. Please, can you come with me? And it was completely dismissed. And he was like, and my boss at the time said, oh, don't be silly. Like, you're just overthinking it. And I couldn't get it through to him. I was like, I feel uncomfortable in this situation. I don't want to be alone in a room with this man. Mm. And it was completely dismissed. (laughs) I don't know why I'm laughing. I do this all the time. I I tell the most traumatic stories and then laugh and I'm like, it's not funny. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a way of processing it. We did say Mm. when we were like preparing for this podcast, we were like, we need to caveat that Sophie laughs when she's uncomfortable. (laughs) I do. I do all the time. (laughs) I mean, I think it's something really interesting and and Sophie kind of alluded to it when you were saying about sharing stories and having, hearing other people's women, other women's voices and other experiences of sexual harassment in the workplace. And I think, you know, that was what hashtag me too was all about and I don't know about you guys but I remember when hashtag me too was happening it really resonated with me kind of on a personal level not just because of my own experiences but also because it was something about this kind of like the kind of fight back and the the kind of grouping together and the mm-hmm. support that was so so there and I think it was just it's one of those kind of movements that whether or not it's had the impact it wanted to have is, is kind of a different question but I do think it was such a kind of empowering movement at the time. Mm-hmm. So one of the submissions we had was from a junior professional based in London and this was during the height of the Me Too movement. There were lots of questions being asked about senior males treatments of younger females in our city workplace in London. It became clear that there were two particular perpetrators and almost every junior female had a story about inappropriate conduct from him. We were called into training which effectively felt quite victim blamey as it explained the difficulty in proving intent. Meanwhile all the juniors started to leave after they raised their complaints and then the two men were both asked to leave keeping their substantial investment and their pensions. Then a few weeks later, another senior partner was telling me about how sensitive women are whilst trying to hold onto my hips. Oh my God. (sighs) Sometimes it seems to just perpetrate without consequence just funny isn't it when you think about you know you just thought that it was going to shine a light on it but actually in some respects it just carries on doesn't it yeah they've just dealt with it and then it had the issue's still there it's that whole like it's in a lot of cases it feels like the perpetrator is always protected and i think that's where it i mean not only is the actual incident horrendous but that on top of it just feels like another like kick doesn't it when you're seeing how they're treated compared to how victims are sometimes treated and and like the submission said a lot of the times the victim blaming is just Mm -hmm. off the charts it's ridiculous Mm. and i think it's one of those things I mean where the kind of work I do a lot of it does end in settlement agreements and does end with kind of non-disclosure agreements and there is such a debate to be had about the the appropriateness of them and actually where we've kind of landed in legal circuit is that they're not appropriate for allegations of sexual harassment partly due to that kind of needing then needing to be consequence for the perpetrators but I mean it's the same issue isn't it because you do think the men are just getting away with it because they're going to be settled out the women are going to be settled out and I mean that's what that's what came across from this this submission for me as well is this comment about the juniors just start leaving after they complain Mm -hmm. so either they felt that it wasn't being dealt with or they were settled out too because you don't want them to raise more complaints so they're paid off and they're paid not to say anything and there's just no way of knowing there's absolutely no way of Mm -hmm. no way of ever knowing what happened there how how it and and that's the case in a lot of these kinds of situations is that ultimately 
it all ends with people paying a lot yeah. of money for everyone to stay quiet and usually everyone kind of just gets to go to their new life without without kind of taking any of that reputation with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did all, we also have a submission from a 26-year-old PR professional in London and she talked a lot about sexual assault when when she was working in lingerie. She said her first ever job was in luxury lingerie sales and she could argue that it comes with the territory, but she was always teased by sleazy men taking things too far and at 16, which I just can't. She remembers one male customer asking if she could try on the thong so that he could see what it looks like. And she said another one, um, a man yanked up her dress to see if she was wearing the stockings she was trying to sell in and she talks about how there was a oh man who would go into their workplace when they were 18 oh so a young 18 year old girl and her were the victims of upskirting which is obviously now illegal which is when you take pictures of people up people's up someone's skirt but again a it's absolutely shocking to hear yeah. from someone's experience but also this is the kind of thing that as a lingerie company you'd think yeah. you would know that you maybe have to protect your employees against this yeah and it shouldn't it shouldn't be a thing that like as she says i guess you could argue that it comes with territory not like no job no. should that come with a territory no. no matter what you do i don't care whether you do you work in laundry or you do sex work or you work in an office like it shouldn't be a thing that you think oh this just comes with the territory like absolutely not it makes me so mad <laughs> again it's this idea of even if you accept that there is a culture where where and sadly it is i would say accepted that there is a culture where women are in danger by virtue of their sex and they are in danger of violence and um, be that sexual or physical violence but i do think you know it, that doesn't mean it has to happen in your workplace you should be protected by the structures that are put in place yeah. and and legally coming back to the kind of bit that i meant to contribute is um <laughs> legally your employers should be protecting you against that and one of the defenses they they have against claims of sexual assault or well sexual harassment or or any kind of discrimination is that they've done everything they could do to stop it happening and what is clear in in a lot of these submissions that we've had today and a lot of the stories that we've had is that they just wouldn't be able to argue that there's so many obvious ways to stop a a woman a 16 year old being sexually harassed while selling lingerie it's so obvious to me yeah there's just on that last submission as well she talks about how the worst was luckily caught on cctv it's like it shouldn't be a case of whether you you strike it lucky whether there's cctv or not and it's that kind of underlying message of what if it hadn't have been are we then saying it are we then saying it didn't happen it's just so shocking i mean we knew that talking about sexual harassment in the context i mean we started quite Mm light-hearted not light-hearted but talking about like temperature of offices and things Mm -hmm. and Again, we've kind of come round to this this discussion about sexual harassment, and unfortunately, how yeah. many how many of the listeners did yeah. share really quite horrendous stories, yeah. and and it again comes back to those ones who feel comfortable sharing that, and who aren't legally limited from sharing it, because there will be some people who aren't. Some of the worst victims won't be allowed to talk about it. I've said this previously, but honestly, like reading through the submissions that we were getting because we did get a lot and it was we can't feature all of them but it was it was very humbling obviously we've read through these a couple of times now so i don't want to say we're desensitized to it but we're talking about this now having read them before um and still there are some of these that i'm like oh my god like it almost takes your breath away and like you say alicia these are the these are the women who felt comfortable coming forward or who could come forward so god knows what some of the stories are from women who haven't felt comfortable or couldn't it's just part of me just doesn't want to think about it but then obviously the the bigger part of me is like no we need to and obviously that's one of the reasons we, we we're doing this and we are talking about it because it needs to be talked about and we need to do something about it so it's worth just reiterating from a legal perspective and 
I'm going to try and kind of reiterate this whenever it is appropriate, is that if you are subject to sexual harassment and you do feel able, you should raise it to HR. But otherwise, I think the the main rule has to be believe in yourself, look after yourself and um, and do raise it, but only if you feel feel able. If anybody is affected by this episode or needs any support, the following resources are available. The Equality Advisory Support Service. The Equality and Human Rights Commission. Rights of Women Sexual Harassment at Work Helpline. Victim Support and Advice Line. And of course, the Samaritans. Full details of each service will be available in the show notes of this episode. You've been listening to Sexism in the City from Girls in Work. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button. And if you can, leave us a review as well. We'd really appreciate it. And it will help us to raise awareness and share this message even further. And join us next week for another episode of Sexism in the City from Girls in Work. With special thanks to Alicia Collinson from Thrive Law. This is Girls in Work. Find us at girlsinwork.com.